Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I want to start out by telling you a famous story that is not true. Maybe it is. I have no idea if this is true. I guarantee you about 10 of you afterwards will tell me one way or the other. It's a story about catching spider monkeys. Here's a picture of a spider monkey. And this story is set in Africa, or maybe it's South America, or maybe it's Hot Springs Village, I don't know. Wherever people want to catch spider monkeys, this is what they do. They stick a nut inside of a really heavy jar. The hunters do this. The monkey sticks his hand in the jar to grab the nut, but he cannot pull his hand out of the jar while still holding the nut. In order to get free, he has to drop the nut and then pull his hand out. However, the spider monkey wants that nut so bad that he'll hold on to it that whole time. In fact, he'll hold on to it all the way up until the hunter comes and takes him away. All he has to do is drop the nut and have freedom, but no, he holds on to it. And the connection that I'm going to make over and over again in your life is that many of you love the nut more than your freedom. You love the nut of your sin more than the freedom you can have in Jesus Christ. There's a variety of common areas that we all struggle with in self-control. Some of you had a particular area. Some of it is spending money. Maybe it is eating issues, laziness or wasting time, anger, out-of-control speech, immorality, the abuse of drugs, whether illegal or illegal and even alcohol. And some of you have been stuck in these patterns for so long that you don't even know what freedom feels like. You don't even know what it tastes like. And hopefully, by the end of our time today, you will see that there is real freedom for you to have no matter what your self-control issues are. And that freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna look at that passage this morning in Titus. If you wanna turn back to Titus. The context of this passage is the Apostle Paul instructing his co-worker Titus how to lead the churches in Crete. A lot of false teaching going on here with the led to ungodliness and a lot of out of control living. And Paul is going to show that in the grace of Jesus, it doesn't open up the door for more sin, but for self-control. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Leading up to the passage that we just read, Paul addresses four groups, and it's interesting, as he addresses these four groups, each group needs to have self-control. He addresses old men, 
old women, young men, young women. No joke, he addresses all four of the groups. He tells the older men to exhibit self-control by being faithful. This is not a time in your life to be out of control with your money or drinking or immorality. And he tells the old women to be controlled in their speech. And he also tells them to be controlled in their drinking. They weren't to sit around gossiping and getting drunk. And also the younger women will be self-controlled and the younger men will be self-controlled as well. All of us need to exhibit self-control. Now, the question is, how do you get it? How do you get self-control? I want to I read the passage again. Let's look at it again. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. When you put this all together, the solution to your out-of-control problem is the grace of Jesus. Basically, this passage is an encouragement to get caught up in Jesus. And if you don't, and if you just look at your self-control issue, if you just look at your addiction issue, you will just move from one addiction to another. You may stop drinking, but you may replace it with obsessive smoking. You may stop with your obsessive immorality and just replace it with obsessive exercise and hobbies. You may get your eating under control and then just replace it as you turn into the health food police. Am I touching a nerve there? It's just a replacement with one nut with another nut. If you do not focus on Jesus as you start to deal with your self-control issues, I guarantee you, you will replace one nut with just another nut. And you'll talk about how awesome it is that you got your eating under control, how awesome it is that you got your drinking under control. But if you're leaving Jesus out of the equation, I guarantee you, you replace one nut with another nut. We have to get caught up in the grace of Jesus. And this morning, we're gonna look at three areas. Let me put these up for you. Saving grace, training grace, future grace. Let's start with saving grace. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God is a reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus has appeared, grace incarnate, and his grace, his salvation, is bringing salvation to all men or to all people. He's bringing salvation to old men, old women, young men, young women. Those who turn from their faith, turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ can be forgiven. They can have salvation, eternal forgiveness, and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this salvation that goes out to all peoples is rooted in the life, 
death, and resurrection of Jesus. And get this, it's a gift. It is a gift that you can receive by grace, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. And I, I don't, you know, we always talk about grace and the gospel and Jesus being a gift, but I don't think some of you get that. Think of it this way. My son, one of, I don't know how many sons I have, but one of them. <laughs> His name is Daniel. We just brought him here from Jamaica this past summer. He's, he's going to turn 10 years old this week. We talked to him about his past birthdays in Jamaica, and he's about to turn 10, and he's never received a present, ever. Now, I want to think about your grandkids. <laughs> think about your grandkids. Maybe some of them are about to turn 10, right? Think of all the presents they've gotten from their parents and all the presents they've gotten from birthday parties, and then the grandparents come along and spoil them, right? So just think about your own great kids. But this boy has never received a present. I mean, how does that make you feel? Well, how do you think he feels? You see, some of you feel that exact same way inside, that no one has ever taken interest in you to bless you, to love you, to encourage you, and what that has done within you, it, is, it has caused this spiraling in your life. Maybe some, some anger, some sadness, some depression that, is, that has spiraled you into a variety of out-of-control living, harming yourself, harming others. And I just want to tell you, today's your birthday. In fact, in Jesus Christ, every day can be your birthday where you can get the, the gift of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy, and love. And here's what I think is really cool about this. You can get the gift of someone actually paying attention to you. That is the gift of grace. So as Daniel's birthday is this week, we're like, here's some presents. <laughs> we love you. You're part of our family. That's what we do. And that's what God does for you too. He gives you the gift of grace. It's what he does. Well, let's elaborate a bit. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Oh, oh this is really good. So the saving grace of Jesus frees us from the master of sin. You see that? Redeems us from every lawless deed. Oh, I don't know if you really fully get that because it is saying that you used to be enslaved to the nut of sin. Sin was your master. You could not let go. It's like you had sin, you could not release this. You were like that spider monkey. You had no power or ability to let go of your sin. But now through faith in Jesus Christ, there is this release, there is this freedom. So now instead of the master of whatever sin it was, now Jesus is the master. I just think about my own life and my, my struggle with immorality. That's just what I did. I would say there's impossibility, impossible, to be free from that. But along came Jesus, forgave me my sin, and he broke that power, and now I have a new master. And I say to every single one in here, 
that no matter what you're into, there can be freedom in Jesus Christ. In fact, he goes as far as to say in this passion that Jesus is now can be your master in the sense. You see the language language in that verse? It says possession. He possesses you. You are his now. You no longer have to be possessed by your sin, but by Jesus Christ. That's, That's the saving grace of Jesus. Saving grace of Jesus. But it doesn't end there because we gotta move into this training grace. Look at verse 11 again. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Grace also trains. The grace of Jesus trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live a self-controlled life. And when we say that grace trains, we're saying that the Holy Spirit now lives in you, giving you a new power that you did not previously have, and the power of God in you enables you to live a self-controlled life. It does not mean that you do not exert effort because you do. But now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can move out in grace and power. Now, I want you to think about training for a moment. One year, I went to my first and only golf tournament ever at the BMW Championship in Lake Forest, Illinois. Anybody ever been to that? Okay. No one. So, well, the best golfers in the world were there, and they had amazing uh, control they had of that little ball. And I'll tell you what, they trained constantly to control their shots. Now, the most famous person there was Tiger Woods, and I have a picture for proof that I was there, okay? Can we see the picture? Can you see that little guy in the green? Proof to you I was there. That is Tiger Woods, trust me. Now, many of you know that while Tiger Woods was at the top of his game, he had some personal areas of his life that were out of control, if you know his story. So get this. He kept training to be a better golfer while his private world was falling apart. Right? Top of his game, best in the world, kept training, privately falling apart. And as Christians, we can do the exact same thing. We can train to be at the top of your game and sun aspect where you have invested your time to be excellent, but there may be an area of your life that is out of control. You need to redirect your training efforts. Some of you really need to redirect your training efforts. You may be the best at your game, at your hobbies, but you're maybe neglecting your spouse. (laughs) Do not come along and boast about your golf scores if you're neglecting your wife. I am not impressed at all. You may be great at ministry while neglecting your children or neglecting your parents. I mean, you may be so busy here in ministry, but you're neglecting those you need to care for. In fact, you may be good at fellowship and community, and you may just be 
you have this building all the time and all the ministries, but you are neglecting personal holiness. And I'm just wondering, is there anyone in here, and I know there is, that you need to redirect your training efforts. You need to stop the busyness. You need to stop that other hobby, and you need to redirect your training efforts and start to deal with some of those things in your life that are out of control. And I just want to tell you, I guarantee you, if you neglect those things, they will blow up. You need to redirect some of your training efforts. But get this. The Christian life is not all about saying no to sin. Sometimes you think, oh, all the stuff I can't do. No, it's also about saying yes, and specifically saying yes to doing good. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good works. So the Christian life is not about just getting rid of the negatives, putting off sin, but it's also about putting stuff on. And here specifically it says, being zealous for good deeds. Just like you were zealous for your sins, now you need to be zealous for good works. I don't wanna call anybody out in here specifically, so I'm gonna make just kind of a a general, um, tell you a general story that probably doesn't apply to hardly any of you, so you don't think I'm picking on you, but you can pick on yourself and so can the Spirit of God. But I've seen single women, specifically at my last church, my last church was mainly people in their 20s, and I've seen single women who keep going out with the wrong kind of guy. The guy she tends to date doesn't love the Lord. And a lot of them are jerks. And as, after she goes through a very difficult breakup, well, there she goes right on to another bad relationship. But I've also seen some of these single women start to get on fire for Jesus. And they start to understand that grace that forgives also trains. And so they stop going out with these fools, okay? And they start walking with Jesus, but they don't, all, they don't just stop making bad decisions. They start to see other sisters within the church who are making the same mistakes they used to make, and they are intentionally mentoring them and discipling them so they can make better decisions in life and specifically with regard to men. So I'm asking you, in your own life, whatever you've been caught up into, what would it look like to set that aside is to, to focus your time and energy on something else. What would those good works look like? Where you were just as zealous for your sin, you're now zealous for good works. Because the grace of Jesus trains, not just to say no, but it also trains to walk in righteousness. All right, so we have the saving grace of Jesus and the training grace of Jesus. Well, let's look at the future grace of Jesus. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. While we're down here, we struggle and we wait patiently for the blessed hope. The blessed hope, the second coming of Jesus. In this future grace, when Jesus comes back, the struggle will be over. Struggle has a deadline. Your trial has an expiration date where we will be with Christ forever and free from the presence of sin. 
I want you to understand this future grace by referring to saving grace and to training grace, putting it like this. God's saving grace removes the power of sin. His training grace empowers you to say no to sin, and his future grace will save you from the presence of sin. Let me say that again. God's saving grace removes the power of sin. His training grace empowers you to say no to sin, and his future grace will save you from the presence of sin. If you read the Bible, you will often see that the second coming of Jesus Christ is to motivate godly living. There's a variety of verses in the Bible. One of them is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. It says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Another passage is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The idea is, since Jesus Christ is coming back, then why should I get caught up in the futility of my sin? As I anticipate and look forward to his coming, Sin should just look like a waste of time. Why would I still choose to participate in sin if Jesus could show up anytime? Let me just take it up a notch and just make it real for you, all right? Let's just say you're into something, something that you're into that you don't want people to know about, and those who know about it, you want them to act like, you want to act like you're done with that. Let's just say you're into some particular sin, and it's a, you want to make a, a quick visit to your sin. You want to drop in and say hi. So you drop into the bar or the club to say hi, or you visit a website to say hi, or whatever it is you're into, a casino or whatever, you drop in and say, and while you're there, while you're there, doing whatever you're doing, your child shows up and sees you, or your spouse shows up and sees you. Or worst of all, your pastor shows up and sees you. I mean, how would that make you feel? You'd be like, what? Try to explain yourself. The idea is, but what if Jesus showed up? If Jesus showed up while you're into that, you would think, what am I doing? This is such a waste of time. It's going against what God wants for me. And I can guarantee you, Jesus is going to show up. One day he will show. And we don't want to be caught in foolishness. So that's why we'd have this future grace spurring us on to live in holiness now. So let's just put it all together, okay? Just make sure you get this. Recap. The saving grace of Jesus has freed you from the ruling power of sin. You can drop a nut and be free. The training grace of Jesus empowers you to say no to sin. I'm not going to go back to you and to replace it with good works. And the future grace of Jesus reminds you that the battle is almost up and the grace to come is more important than the temporary pleasures of sin. Now maybe right now 
There may be some of you that are, that are ready to make this change. You're ready to be free. You're ready to, be de- to deal with this issue, whatever it is, wherever you're lacking self-control. And you've heard passages like this before and sermons like this before, but unfortunately in the past, you have made little mini incremental changes and then you just went back to your sin. Why does that happen? Why don't we try to address an issue of our life, we try to move into this area, and then we kind of go back to our old ways. And usually, the reason is you don't have a plan. You just don't have a plan. You say, yeah, Lord, please forgive me. I'm gonna stop doing this. And you go out, and two days later, you're back into it because you have no plan. So what would it look like to have a plan What would it look like, as Ed Welch says, to develop a clear, publicized plan? What would it look like to develop a clear, publicized plan? I mean, really think about it. People on on New Year's Eve are like, yeah, I'm I'm going to go on a diet next year. And then you're all full, and it makes sense. A few days later, no more. There's no plan. And there's some of, the, some of those who talk about, you know, I'm a, I've been, I got busted and drugs and you feel convicted to change, but after a while you're back at it. Why? No plan. Ed Welch says this, there was no thoughtful plan, no consideration of the spiritual dominion involved, no calling out for the grace of God in Christ, no real desire to take one soul to task, and no pleas for help and counsel from other brothers and sisters. If you really want to be free and develop self-control over a certain area of your life, then you got to get a plan. And I want to tell you this. You cannot pull it off on your own. Of course, you need the grace of God to help you, but you need community. It's just the way God has set it up that we can get so distracted, we can deceive ourselves, and we get caught up in so much foolishness that we can't see unless we're in community. Because I want to tell you this, the people sitting on your left and on your right, they struggle as well. I know they look good right now, they're all dressed up, but we all struggle. We have stuff that we're dealing with, and we need each other. And what we really need is we need to be in community where we're vulnerable with what is going on. Because if we're not open about what's going on, then we can't receive the grace of the community that we're needed to speak into our lives so we can change. But I'll tell you what I've seen in this church. I really have seen it. I've seen people in this church embrace others help them to change, encourage them to change, and set a context where people can open up and share and not be shut down. I've seen it. Now, I can't tell those stories because of confidentiality reasons. I've talked to many of you in private. I've talked to many of you in my office where you come in and you tell me the story, but you also tell me the support of the community, and I am blown away how people can struggle and yet be so accepted, giving them the gospel, giving them the grace to change. It's, it's a beautiful community. Since I can't tell any of these private stories, I want to tell you a story from uh, another church. It's a, it's a girl named Marla. She walked into a small group, and this is her first time there. And, and all she knew, um, it's that she was new, she walked in, and she hears a guy in the group confess to the whole group 
about his struggle with something and, and needing prayer about that. And she said, as soon as she heard the guy share, she thought for sure from her past church experiences that the whole group was going to turn on the guy and just slam him. But the group didn't do that. They're full of grace and mercy. Others talked about how they struggled in the same area. In fact, Marla related as well because she struggled as well. As she fall, found grace and truth and, of course, exhortation, commandments from the word of God, but grace to find forgiveness in the cross and to change. And I thought, that's this church. And I want us to grow in this more and more. In fact, I've created a little statement here. It goes like this. VBC is made up of vulnerable people encouraging other vulnerable people to find change in Jesus Christ. If you're new here and you're wondering what this church is all about and you're dealing with some stuff, don't hide. Don't conceal. Jump in with other people. Go to a small group. Go to a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study. You don't have to show up the first night and say, well, let me tell you all my issues. You don't have to do that. But this is a church of vulnerable people who found salvation and forgiveness and power in Jesus Christ to change. And we are welcoming other vulnerable and broken people to come and grow with us. We all want to root ourselves in the grace of Jesus because we need it for ourselves and for each other. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.